0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 24th, 2022, we continue our new four-part series titled, Share. Today's sermon, The Power of Personal Testimony, will be taught to us by Pastor Doug Farrington. Enjoy.
1: In my 20s and 30s, I was struggling with addiction, mental health issues, chronic pain, and had pretty much given up on life. One day I googled, how do you heal naturally for mental illness? And that took me down the false counterfeit path of personal development. I spent 10 years believing I was my answer. Even though I had created this life for myself, something felt like it was missing. So I started to regularly read the word, even though I wasn't a believer. And I was saved through the word and specifically the Old Testament. So I'm a firm believer in sharing with people that the Bible from start to finish is gonna point you to Jesus and your need for a savior. It took 10 years for me to come out of that deception. So I know that it's not my job to, to save everyone in one conversation. It's just my job to be the light and the salt and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I found out when I was saved that my mom's Bible study group had been praying for me for 10 years. 10 years! <laughs> and so it can be the same way with sharing the gospel with others. If you're nervous or if you're awkward, if you don't know what to say, pray for God to give you the courage and the ability and the strength to do it. I've been able to share the fact that we are sinners in need of salvation with people who I spent time with in this counterfeit health wealth prosperity, helping people who have been deceived and who feel like they've sinned so much that there's no hope for them, see that there is hope in Christ.
0: We are stepping into our third week of the SHARE series that 's really all about equipping god 's church to share the good news of Jesus now, a couple of weeks ago, Brendan did just a tremendous job of kicking it off right and, and telling us what does god 's Word say about not only about the gospel itself but what we are supposed to do with it. Why is it so important that we share it? Ta- Brendan taught us about that last week. Joe took us through and really taught us well that that there's an adversary, there's somebody who's against us. When we want to step out and talk about Jesus, there's somebody who wants to make it difficult. There's an adversary, and he's at work. Right now we're going to jump into this week. No messing around. Both feet. Let's do this. Because today we're talking about the power of personal testimony. See, we as Christians, we sit here in possession of the most important, the most powerful message that there is. We might be sitting here with it, but we cannot be just sitting here on it, right? God's word tells us that we are to share. We are, we've learned this in, in this series, and, and perhaps you've learned this before. We are God's plan A and B and C and D, etc., for spreading his gospel message. Believers, that's, that's our job. It's, it's not something that we can go, I'm gonna leave that to somebody else, or, oh boy, I, I don't know if that's my giftedness. No, 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 we all are called to do that very thing. Now, when God gave us collectively, when he gave to the world the way and the truth and the life, the gift of the gospel message fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, I mean, when he fulfilled his plan over 2,000 years ago, To bring reconciliation and salvation to his people, it was magnificent, it was perfect, it was beautiful. And it's so eloquently stated, simply stated, clearly stated in John 3.16. And if you've been around church very much, you've most likely not only have heard John 3.16, but you probably have it memorized. Even with such a familiar verse, I think it's really important to read it, to look at it and see it and ruminate on it. And we're gonna do that together. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And to all of us who have personally, individually received that gift, to those of us who have believed on Jesus and recognized him as our Lord and Savior, he gave us not only new life and restored relationship with himself, but he gave us something else too. He gave us a story. Now, I grew up in a pretty big family. I'm the youngest of six kids. And my brother, who's nearest to me in age, the closest to me in age, is eight years older than I am. So while I am the baby of the family, if you're into birth order stuff, because of the age gap, I probably have more more oldest or even only child characteristics than I do youngest child characteristics, uh, but I actually have some of all of those things. And I like to say that I am multifaceted and complex, so you can't put me in a box. I think all of my five siblings would say that I'm just a mess, but that's all right. That's neither here nor there. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents love Jesus. They love each other. They love all of us kids in spite of us. We were very involved in church. My folks served in all kinds of capacities, basically during all of my growing up years, right? And we were at church all the time, my siblings and I. It was just what we did together. It was an, it was an expectation. It wasn't a conversation. It was an expectation. And it wasn't always easy, but my parents were committed to that, and I will tell you right now, I'm so thankful that they were because as a kid, with all the time that I spent at church, I learned a ton about Jesus and about God's word. And I would tell you that I believed what I heard at church. For sure, right? I do believe that's one of the benefits of growing up in the church, and I'm so thankful for that. I would tell you, I would have told you then, I will tell you now that I I believed in and I loved Jesus, And what a blessing that was. But something specific happened when I was eight years old. I had been at church with my parents on a Wednesday night. And it wasn't kids' church. It wasn't children's programming. It was what my church called, our church called, our Wednesday, or really our our midweek prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. It wasn't a prayer meeting because it was Baptist. So it was a prayer meeting, okay? We would sing together. We'd pray together. And our senior pastor would always pick out a short passage from Scripture, a couple of verses, and give kind of a mini-sermon at prayer meeting. And I don't remember everything that the preacher said that night. But I know that he was teaching from Romans chapter 5. And I do remember very clearly, very specifically, that when he read verse 8 in Romans chapter 5, something new clicked for me. Hard for me to describe, hard for me to define, but it was a light bulb. Romans 5.8 says this, but God, always watch for that. When God's word says, but God, something sweet is happening, okay? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, later on that night, we had gone home and I was laying in bed and I was, I was thinking about what I'd heard and what it actually meant I was chewing on that. And I just, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And I, I called out to my dad who was who was in my folks' room. And, and he came in and he sat down on the edge of my bed with me in my room. We talked for probably 10 minutes, maybe a little bit less than that. I don't, I don't know for sure. But I asked him some questions. And uh, he did really, I think, a great job of answering those questions in a way that eight-year-old me could understand, right? And he shared with me some more verses, including other verses out of the Romans road, of which Romans 5.8 is a part. And God used my dad that night to help me understand not only, not only that Jesus loved me, but that he wanted to save me. He wanted to save me. That even as an eight-year-old without like a super extensive criminal record, right, <laughs> I was as much of a sinner as anybody else and in need of a savior. The Lord gave me a greater understanding of my position relative to him and he brought me to a place of of new and and greater understanding. I grasped, not fully, but more than ever before, what it meant to live a life fully surrendered to him. And then dad knelt next to me. I just said I wanna pray and dad just knelt down next to me, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, son, you should pray now. I just thought it's time to talk to God. And so I gave it this action, right? And I told God that I knew and understood who he is. And I was so thankful for Jesus wanting to save me. I told him I was sorry for my sins. And I I told him that I wanted to do better. I I wanted to not keep making those same mistakes over and over again, and I knew it would take his help, and I asked him for that help. It was a sweet moment. I would love to be able to tell you that from that day on, it's just been all peaches and cream and sunshine and roses, and I've done an amazing job of living a life just that honors him with every word and deed. Yeah, that would be a straight-up lie, so I'm not gonna tell you that. I've definitely had my share of ups and downs. But I can tell you that God has been incredibly faithful throughout. And I could share tons of stories of of him demonstrating his faithfulness, of him loving me in spite of me. Not loving me because of me, loving me in spite of me. I won't go into all that right now, but if you're interested, let's sit down over coffee sometime. What I can tell you is he has loved me and blessed me and stretched me, and grown me, and disciplined me, and he's kicked my tail on more than one occasion. And I've needed it, and I'm going to need it moving forward at times, too. He has revealed and proven himself to me time and time and time again, and he doesn't owe me any of that. He's chosen to do that because he made me one of his kids, guys. Praise God. I think that there's this, maybe, this part of my story may very well be one of the reasons that I feel so passionately and I care so much about ministering to kids and students. Because I am proof, guys, I am proof that God can and does show himself to them in a way that is profound and understandable. They can put their faith in him. And I know that it's true. Y'all can't tell me it's not. And he does it according to his purpose and in his timing. Church, that's my story. I have seen and experienced God's power and love and presence and faithfulness. And nobody, again, nobody can tell me that I haven't. No one can argue with me about it because that is the story that God started writing in my life when I was an eight-year-old red-headed little nugget. Now I'm a 50-year-old red-headed bigger nugget. That's fine. God's been adding to my story ever since. He didn't give it the old and the end when I was eight. He's still writing. Now I'll tell you, there have been times... There have been times for me, especially when I was younger, I would meet somebody or I would hear somebody's testimony, and it just sounded way more exciting than mine, way more powerful, way more impactful. And I remember more than once thinking, man, I wish I had a better testimony. Anybody else grow up in church and and ever have that feeling? Is that something that, right? Well, shame on me right? That's, that's a little bit like saying, um, I really wish that I had lived more of my life without the Lord in it. That seems a little bit foolish now in retrospect, doesn't it? I had a brother come up after the nine o'clock service. Greg is his name, friend of mine, and he came up and his story is very different than mine. He had lived life and into his adulthood where he was He had set himself on the throne of his life. He was running the show. He had not surrendered to God. He had had many opportunities, and he said, brother, I have coveted a testimony like yours. And I was like, well, praise God, right? The truth is, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your testimony is a miracle, period. I want to say that again. If you have a relationship with Jesus, then your testimony is a miracle. To say otherwise would be to diminish not only the value of the gift that you have been given, but it would even be failing to recognize the magnitude of what God actually did, what only God could do when he saved you. In the book of Ephesians, chapter two, verses one through five, the apostle Paul writes something. I want to share with you. It'll be on the screen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. I was eight. I was a child. Indeed, I was a child of wrath like the rest of mankind, here we go again, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace, you have been saved. Can I get an amen on that? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus, after dying on the cross and being placed in the grave, when he arose from the dead on the third day, would any of us say that, oh, that doesn't qualify as a miracle? Of course not. Right, well, what about during during Jesus' ministry when he went and he went to the graveside of Lazarus who had been dead and buried for four days? And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And four days dead, Lazarus. Here he comes. Would anybody say that wasn't a miracle? Of course not. Right? Right? You don't have to, you don't have to create a powerful testimony. God has already done that. When God saved you, he took something that was dead and he made it alive. Praise God for that. And whether God rescued you out of awareness that you were living a life of of hopelessness and despair, or if he pulled you out of the clutches of addiction, if he opened your eyes to the fact that you were lost to false teaching, like Natalie shared in the video. If he came to you in the midst of broken relationships, if he plucked you from abuse and showed you your worth, if he called your name and saved you out of a prison cell, or if for whatever reason, like he's done for me at least so far, if he saved you from experiencing many of those things, however and whenever he did it, God gave you a story that is a miracle. He just wants you to use your story to tell his story. I think people sometimes have a hard time with with sharing their testimony because they're so worried about their part and not concerned enough with God's part. But the good news is your testimony, as miraculous as it is, isn't even about you. Your testimony is about God's work in you, through you, and for you. When you became justified, when you were justified by grace through faith in Jesus, faith given to you by God, he worked a miracle in you, but your testimony doesn't stop there. Many times we think in terms of, oh, my testimony goes right up to the point at which I got saved, right? Oh, it's just getting started there. There's a thought of, how and when someone initially came to faith, but God is continuing to add depth and breadth to your story, even now. And he'll continue to do that until we meet him face-to-face in heaven. It's part of our process of sanctification. And he adds to our story in many, many ways. Sometimes through the blessing of community, And and of serving and of connection and through incredible experiences and divine appointments. Often, he adds to our story and he writes more for us through his comfort and faithfulness in the midst of trials. I have friends who have been walking with Jesus for a long time who have experienced almost unimaginable hurt. And God has been faithful throughout. We were never promised an easy, carefree life free of any heartache or struggle. Just the opposite, in fact. In John 16, 33, Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have tribulation. We will encounter trials and problems. We're gonna experience hard things. But we can take heart because he, Jesus, has overcome the world. Now, in my life, many of the trials... That I have encountered, and there have been plenty, many of those trials were self inflicted. Not all of them, but many. And because that has been true for me, I can kind of relate to this when somebody will say to me, I'm hesitant to share my faith because I know I'm a hypocrite. I'm not a very good Christian right now. Right? Again, I can relate. If you find yourself in that position right now, today, I do want to encourage you with a couple of things. Number one, if you feel like you're a hypocrite sometimes, welcome to being human. Hello. We're going to mess up, we're going to step in it, we're going to sin sometimes. I I would even challenge you find somebody in the Bible, aside from Jesus himself, that didn't encounter sin. And have that be an issue in their life. That's part of the beauty of redemption. Right? The second thing that I want to encourage you with, if you feel sometimes like you're hypocritical, I would just say this, knock it off. I don't mean to sound cavalier. I don't want to just throw that out like that's a really easy thing. I know that's a simple statement to make. Hey, if if you have sin in your life, stop. Okay, Way easier said than done, right? I totally get that. I'm talking to myself right now too, okay? But if you have unresolved, unrepentant sin in your life, give it to God. Flee from it. Pray for God's help and protection so that you might live in obedience to him and overcome that sin. And I'll let you in on a little secret. Often, God uses the messiest, ugliest part of our story to accomplish his greatest, most beautiful purpose for you and or for the people that he brings into your life. See, your sin and my sin and your hypocrisy and my hypocrisy are messiness. They're not beyond God's redemptive ability. Give your junk to God and then ask him to use it for his purpose, for his glory and for your good. And as he does that, your, your faith in him and your testimony will grow. And not that you, you want to sin all the more so that grace may abound, right? As it says in Romans 6, 2, by no means. Like, God doesn't need us to provide him more fuel for his redemptive work. But don't live as though you are defined by your sin. Accept God's grace. Extend some to yourself be prepared to extend it to other people too. I'm a recipient of grace. And if I forget that, it can be really hard to extend grace to somebody else. I'm reminded on a regular that I'm a recipient. Extend some to yourself and then ask the Lord to show you how he can and does and will make all things new. Now there's some beautiful encouragement in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you recognize Jesus as the cornerstone of your life and, and you build everything on him, living in obedience and surrender to him, God can and will use all of your experiences to work the plan that he established for you before the foundation of the earth. God isn't done writing your story. Pay attention. Some of you might at this point be thinking, okay, Doug, holy cow, man, I get it. I'm tracking. Maybe I I never really thought of it this way, but I can see that my testimony is actually a miracle. And I get that even though it's my testimony, it really isn't even about me. It's about God's work and what he's done in my life. And I even understand that I am a work in progress and that I don't have to be a perfect Christian in order to share the good news. But what do I actually say? Like... Help me out. How do I I convey? How do I take the story of what God has done and is doing in my life and make it into something I can confidently and passionately and authoritatively and succinctly share? Remember, each of us not only has a story, but it's unique to us. We all have a unique story. Because even if there are similarities... God's story in my life isn't exactly the same as his story in yours. Yours, Paul, is a little or a lot different than mine. And Dave, yours isn't the same as Paul's. And Callie, yours is probably different than Diana's. Right? Our stories are unique. Now, I know a couple of weeks ago, Brendan gave you a little bit of homework. He asked you to pray that the Lord would give you a heart to care about and have a burden for the eternity, the eternal status of the people in your life. And then he gave you a couple of resources. Uh, the Romans Road, four spiritual laws, and some things that that help provide the clear representation of the gospel story. And he asked you to go and practice putting the gospel, like speaking it with words, right? Your own words, but tell this. I loved, he said that literally. He goes, practice speaking the gospel with words. And I was like, yeah, that's how I normally speak, but that's awesome, I get it. It made, made sense, still does. Today, I'm gonna give you another assignment. If you've never actually written down your story, your personal testimony, I wanna give you a a, a way to do that in a format that is clear and concise and easy to remember, okay? The goal is that you'd be able to articulate your personal testimony in three minutes or less with the idea being that if you had the chance, when you have the chance, you'll be able to share your story with somebody just that quickly. It's practical, it's tangible, And I know that often, certainly for me, organizing my thoughts and preparing myself mentally and spiritually and and, and even practically can help build confidence when it comes to conveying information, especially important personal information. There There are three sections, three segments that I want you to think in terms of, and we'll put them up here on the screen. As you're thinking through your testimony, here are the three. My life before I knew Jesus how I met Jesus, and since I met Jesus. What I'm asking you to do is is think and pray about how you would describe yourself and or your experiences in each of those sections, and then go ahead and write it out in about 150 words or less per section. So we're talking about somewhere between 300 and 450 words approximately for your story. There's nothing magical about that. It's just that it seems like that's doable, Right? It gives you a framework within which to work. My life before I knew Jesus, how I met Jesus, and since I met Jesus. And that since I met Jesus is what he's still writing. Right? So your testimony is going like we talked about. It's going to grow. It's going to grow in depth and in breadth. It's expanding because God is always at work, and his faithfulness never ceases, and he's doing something right now. He's doing something in your life. Whether you even know it or not, he's at work. If you've been here at Highlands for an Easter service in the last four, five, six years, you probably have seen some really beautiful examples of the before Jesus and the after Jesus stories in our cardboard testimonies. It's where members of the Highlands family would come out with a large piece of cardboard that has written on one side, the before Jesus side, something like failing marriage, lost all hope, ready to give up. And then they'd flip the cardboard over to reveal the after Jesus side, new life in Christ, he saved my marriage, hope restored. Something like that. And obviously that's far fewer than 450 words. But you can see that it can be done, and that's a great illustration of what that looks like. You have an opportunity, and I would encourage you, take the opportunity to flesh that out in a way that you can share. It can be super helpful as well, as you're building that, to look for a verse or a passage of Scripture that relates to your story. And maybe it's the verse that God used to call you unto Himself, like He used Romans 5.8 for me. Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a totally different verse that he brought to you and just showed you in a beautiful, just spectacular way during your time walking with Jesus in, in the since I met Jesus time, that portion of your testimony. Either way, it's always a good idea to keep your testimony and frankly, your life rooted in and measured against God's word. Also, if you'd like some help, if you're thinking about this, you're like, I think I can do this. Makes some sense. Man, I'd like to see an example. I'm so glad you asked. We actually have these books, and this is part of Highland's discipleship series of books. This is book six, and in chapter nine, it actually gives you those three sections to think in terms of, and a sample testimony. This testimony is not yours, but it helps you see, got it, makes sense. Before I knew Jesus, this is how I came to faith, and this is what he's been doing since. So if you're interested, and if you feel like this would be helpful, these books are available at Info Central. Grab one if you'd like, okay? To wrap things up, I'm going to ask you to turn or scroll if your Bible is in your phone to the book of John chapter 9. We're going to camp out there for the last few minutes of our time together this morning. And while you're making your, your way to John chapter 9, one of the concerns or even objections that I hear when it comes to someone being hesitant to share their faith is when they say, you know, I don't, I don't think I know enough about Jesus. I don't know enough Bible. What if somebody asked me a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, that's a, that's a reasonable question. And very likely, that could happen, y'all. Pastor Bob, our lead pastor, he knows God's word incredibly well. Bob could be stumped. None of us knows everything, right? Right? We don't know the answer to every single possible question. Some of us certainly know more than others. That's okay. We all start somewhere, right? I mean, I definitely know more now than I did when I came to faith at eight years old. I even know more now at age 50 than I did at 48 years old. I hope that you are learning and growing in your faith as well. We are where we are in our faith walk. It is important that we be growing in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord and his grace. This is not the thing where you go, sweet, sign the fire insurance policy, I'm going to camp out here. Our walk, you hear it said, it's a faith journey, it's a walk, things like that. That implies movement and progress, and I would encourage you in that. Some really good news is you don't have to know everything about God in order to share what you do know about him. You don't have to know everything about God in order to be able to share what you do know about him. In John chapter nine, verses one through seven, we're gonna go through chunks of John chapter nine together. John nine, one through seven. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's powerful. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I feel like that's a very understated way of saying what just happened there. Yo, this guy was born not being able to see. He lived, I don't know exactly how much life, but a number of years of life, totally blind, Having never been able to see, Jesus made some mud with his spit, wiped it on his eyes, sent him to the pool of Siloam, said, hey, yo, go wash this off. And the dude came back, just presumably very shortly thereafter, able to see. Uh, John was like, yo, he came back seeing. Okay, cool. But that's, that's a blow mind moment, right? Verses 8 through 12. The neighbors and those who had seen him bef- seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he is like him. Now question, have you guys ever encountered somebody outside of your like normal context with them? This kind of reminded me of the first time that I saw one of my classroom teachers away from school. Like I saw a teacher at the restaurant and I was like, I didn't even know like you existed outside of the classroom right? So these folks are accustomed to seeing this guy sitting down, begging because he can't see anything. And that's how they've seen him day in and day out. And now they see him and he's up and he's engaging and clearly he can see. And they're like, what just happened? Right? And the man kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, well, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And it seems to me to be really understandable that the folks who were talking with the formerly blind man might have like a ton of questions. A whole mess of questions. But when he was asked, even a relatively simple question to which he did not know the answer to, where is he? He just said, I don't know. And for me, that's liberating. That's encouraging. He didn't try to make up an answer. He didn't say, oh, I think he went to market. What? He didn't know, and he didn't try to fabricate something. Now, the Pharisees are going to get involved. It seems like the Pharisees, like their primary thing was to try and catch somebody breaking the law, right? Purportedly because they cared so much about holiness, but sometimes I question their motives. Verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, well, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Basically, that is code in that day and age for saying, He's from God. He's a prophet. He's from God. He must be because there's no other explanation. Do you know what happened to my eyes? Right? The Pharisees clearly are having a hard time believing what they're being told. And very likely they don't want to believe what they're being told. I know people like that. But they do want to get to the bottom of this and they want to try to figure out what's what. Verses 18 through 25. 25. The Jews, that's the Pharisees, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees now we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They feared the Pharisees for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. He was to be kicked out of fellowship. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know much, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, and in a moment here, they're going to lead us. And while they're coming, I just want to remind you Because it's so important that your testimony is a miracle. Your testimony is a miracle. And it's not really even about you. It's about God's work in, through, and for you. And God has given you a story that is unique, and he's still adding to it now. And great news, you don't have to be a perfect Christian You can find comfort in the fact that you don't have to know everything about God in order to be able to share what you do know. I once was blind, but now I see. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a story. God, thank you for continuing to demonstrate your love and your faithfulness as you add To our story. God, help us to be so aware of the miraculous work that you have done and are still doing in our lives, God, that we would feel so compelled, so excited even to want to share your story as it's shown up in our lives, God. Help us be faithful and excited and bold to do that very thing. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us, God. Help us to shout out your praise. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Church, I want to let you know that we will have some members of our prayer team down front. If, if you'd like to talk to somebody, if you'd like to pray with somebody, they are here and, man, they would love nothing more than to be able to do that with you. So if, if that feels like something that would be helpful to you, please take advantage of that. God has given you a unique And miraculous story, not only so that you might reflect on all that he has done, his goodness, his mercy, his love, and his grace in your life, but also so that your story might be an encouragement to others, that it it might be the tool that God would use to call future generations of believers. Know what God has done and is doing in your life, friends, and be prepared to tell somebody about it. God bless you. Love y'all.